This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. We find that a lot of pastors are saying it's just easier to isolate. One of my folks group assessments said, we can't, we're constantly asking if, if we're allowed to be fully human and push into relationships or whether at the end of the day, it's just safer to not. Are you a leader in a church who feels like you're close to burnout? Or maybe you belong to a church, but you really aren't sure how to support your pastor or leaders in the congregation. We are all tired. And in this conversation with John Medlock, we talk about his research about pastoral burnout. It's an important conversation because it doesn't apply just to pastors, but it applies to all of us humans as he shares three findings that you will want to pay attention to as you move towards health. Here's my conversation with John. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. I hope you enjoyed season five, where we really dug into so many great themes about a spacious life. And I hope you've had a chance to pick up a copy of A Spacious Life. But as we head into the Christmas season and as we think about 2022, Before we begin a whole new season here at the podcast, I wanted to take a little pause where we consider issues of health. What does it look like to care for our environment? What does it look like to have a healthy church? How about our spiritual lives or our bodies? Join me in just a short little series as we consider issues of health. All right. Welcome to the Finding Holy podcast. We have John Medlock here with us today. We are going to talk with John about pastoral burnout. So here we are. It's good to have you, John. Yeah. Thanks, Ashley, so much. Good to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you spend your time doing and how did this subject interest you? Oh, my. Um, So I am a pastor and have been a local church pastor for uh, 15 or so years. And uh, but a couple of years ago, moved from California to Atlanta to to work for our national denomination. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, sorry, go ahead. So no, I was saying. So John and I are actually in the same denomination, the PCA. So some of this, of course, comes directly. You know, that has direct import for our denomination. But we're hopeful that the conversation is much wider as well. Yeah, both of those things are true. Actually, we, <laughs> I mean, we and we can we can talk about our research which was done within the PCA. But the truth is that the work that we are doing is is jumping off of a much, much broader, both set of academic research, but also just general interest in pastoral well-being. And what does it mean to, to set up systems so that pastors and their families can thrive? Mm-hmm. I'm married to a pastor, so I'm I'm definitely, you know, interested in the <laughs> in those answers. Did your research then become, you know, just something you needed to do for your job or was there some some, you know, personal reasons that you found that particularly this issue of burnout and pastoral health important? Well, it was it's it's a little complicated, thankfully. Now I've again I've been a pastor, so I've experienced mm-hmm. an awful lot of the things that that we learned and that we talked to folks about. I never approached the place of burnout, although I, I definitely felt the tensions. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that kind of personal interest. It was really the confluence of two streams in my life. Um, I am a PhD student at Trinity University in mm-hmm. Chicago. Mm-hmm. 
and um, my main advisor is Donald Guthrie, who's one of the researchers that wrote Resilient Ministry back in mm -hmm. uh, 2013. Mm -hmm. That was really one of the first early book-length treatments of mm -hmm. pastoral, of what, what I'm calling holistic health or well-being, mm -hmm. which they called resilience. Mm -hmm. And so working with Donald Guthrie over the years, I was just exposed to this more and more and more. And then in 2019, when I left my, my local church pastor role to come and work for our denomination, Donald and I began having a conversation about about what, what would it look like to, to take the pulse of the PCA? Mm -hmm. um, we, and this is kind of the shorthand for what happened. Mm -hmm. We know what will contribute to pastoral health. We know the kinds of things that if, that if pastors do them and if churches and leadership teams set them up to do them, mm -hmm. it, will, it will go well with them over time. Mm -hmm. What we didn't know is how are our guys doing? Mm -hmm. And so Donald and I were talking about, about that, and he expressed an interest in developing an instrument that could be used in, in a large-scale system to, to assess the health, to kind mm -hmm. of, you know, stick the dipstick into the engine of the, yeah. of the larger system and, and see how mm -hmm. it's doing. And when I began to work um, for for RBI, which for non-PCA folks is the agency of our denomination that oversees pastors' employee benefits, such as insurance and, um, and retirement savings. But also we manage a fund of money that we use to, to contribute to the health of pastors mm -hmm. and their families and their widows. So that's the, that's the fit. Mm -hmm. We, anyway, those two things came together. My work with Donald and my mm -hmm role here helped us say like, oh, wait a minute, yeah. we now have a position to do this. We have the resources to fund it. We have the platform mm -hmm. of an agency within the denomination to springboard it off of. And that's what really led to, mm -hmm. to us doing this work. Yeah. So how long was this information gathering process and what did you find out? The project started in earnest. Donald and I were, you know, it was slowly baking for yeah. probably a year a year before this everything from hey could we do this to some serious whiteboard you know sessions yeah. so we formally convened our research team the week before covid hit oh, in 2020 <laughs> yeah my my last my last time on an airplane before travel opened up again was going to Chicago to meet with our research team to really formally kick off this this meet this yep. project. And at that time, we didn't even know COVID was anything other than this interesting thing that was happening. And <laughs> right. I wonder if uh, I wonder if that's going to world. Yeah. Us. yeah, yeah. And, and literally the next week, you know, all hell breaks loose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's anyway. So March of 2020 is when we started. So this was a mm -hmm. this was a mixed mixed methods project. Um, we started off with a large scale survey mm -hmm. um, of of over 900 PCA pastors. So good good data mm -hmm. set, mm -hmm. and we surveyed them on on the, the the practices and habits and choices that that we know will create well being. If it's done, if if it's done well, um, and so that survey was really designed to to take the pulse of the denomination mm -hmm. and just see mm -hmm. how are our guys do. We then followed up that quantitative research with a series of in depth focus groups. Mm -hmm. So we we focus grouped ninety of the nine hundred mm -hmm. um, PCA pastors from around the country and around the world in 16 separate focus groups. And we led some guided conversations mm. to sort of put a face on the data, mm -hmm. to, hear, to hear the stories yeah, and, and really have in-depth conversations with, with PCA pastors to find out like, what, how are they succeeding? Where is it hard? Mm -hmm. what, what, have, what have they done in their efforts to stay healthy? Where have mm -hmm. they fallen short? Mm -hmm. What kind of support are they getting or lacking? Things like that. So. Our focus groups, 
our, our survey went live early summer of 2020 and then closed six weeks later. Mm-hmm. Our focus group started in September of 2020 and our last focus group was late January of 2021. We then spent the spring, the late winter and spring of 21 uh, compiling and um, extracting some findings from our data. And then late spring and early summer of 21, so just earlier this year, leading up to our denominations general assembly, our national meeting in, in, in June, we, we began writing some kind of findings overviews mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we, because we wanted something published by general assembly. Um, and so that in my mind was kind of the, the big first phase of, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. of the project, kind of mm-hmm. doing the research, examining the data mm-hmm. and art, and then articulating some, some high level findings. Yeah. So what did you find? What would be, I don't know. I mean, obviously this is a multi-year project. There's hundreds of people involved, but you know, if you were to say, okay, these are the three factors that really contribute either towards yeah. pastoral health or to burnout. Do you have any sense of that? Like what would be the I, top? I, yeah. So I'm going to, we, we did articulate three big findings mm-hmm. that we, that what, and it's what we're calling pastoral tensions. Mm, I like um, that. This, this idea that the nature of the role itself seems to put pastors in a, in a tug of war mm-hmm. between practices and habits that lead to health mm. and practices and habits that will slowly kill you mm-hmm. and um and so there's so th- so three big tensions yeah um and i'm happy to unpack these or go into as much or little detail as you want but basically so there but the three tensions are relationships mm-hmm. identity mm-hmm. and and systems mm. so when you talk about pastoral relationships is that all types of relationships, the pastor and his family, the pastor and his congregation, pastor in, in his neighborhood. What does that relationships category look like? Yeah. So, so, so yeah, no, that's an interesting and fraught topic. So <laughs> the short, the, yeah. As or is know, it that like in pastoral or any most leadership sort of positions, you have the sense in which you have, someone might consider you a friend um, a peer-to-peer relationship, but there's obviously a difference of power and authority and responsibility that that the pastor is always juggling. Yeah, yeah. So all, really, all of the above, and I can, I, I mean, I can elaborate a little bit. And it starts with this: we're made for relationships. We all know it. Our theology tells us that. Mm-hmm. Open your Bible anywhere, you'll find it. Yeah. And yet what we, what we found and what I have experienced from personal experience, and I suspect you have as well, mm-hmm. is that it's sometimes just easier to isolate, mm-hmm. right? It's easier to, to build walls and not let people in appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that accounts for some of that, you know, the power, power differential mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the, the fact that you're the pastor and their congregants sometimes means they can't, they can't be a full confidant. Right, right. right? Yeah, you, you don't get to share all the information that you know about certain things. Co- correct. Right, yeah. or, or, or even about yourself. Right. Because some correct. people yeah. can't, because some people can't bear it. Right. Right. Like the, and, and so even with those things caveated, it's. So we find that a lot of pastors are saying it's it's just it's just easier to isolate. Mm-hmm. It's safer to isolate. I you know I had I had one um, I had one of my one of my focus group participants that I'm I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but one of my focus group participants said we con- we're constantly asking if if we're allowed to be fully human mm-hmm. and push into relationships. Or whether at the end of the day, it's just safer to not. Hmm. And I think that captures the tension really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, 
you know, the, so the findings of isolation, mm-hmm. the, the fine and, 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 and then, and loneliness, which I think are two related, but different things. Mm-hmm. Um, the, no matter what, what size of church you're in, it, it can really, it can be a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for instance, 38% of our pastors, so significantly more than a third, say that they struggle to find friends. And 64%, so two-thirds, mm-hmm. say that they and their wife as a couple are isolated from other couples. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, they're we're, they're actually pretty pretty close. I mean, our guys are pretty close, report pretty close marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty strong percentage say they have good solid marriages, but this virtually the same percentage say, and I'm putting words a little bit in people's mouth, but like my wife is the only friend I have, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they, they talk about the, the how, how fraught it is to try to be friends with the people you're pastoring. Yeah. Right. So on an individual level, you'll find guy and this happened over and over again. You'll find guys saying, I have nowhere to take off the pastoral hat. There's there's no there's no context in which I'm not the pastor. Mm-hmm. And then as a couple, they're saying. We tried to make friends and it came back to bite us. Mm. Like we open our we open ourselves up and all of a sudden, you know, people can't bear it. And so that's that that relationship that's the that's the relationship tension mm-hmm. how do mm-hmm. pastors navigate the responsibilities of their role and the positions of their families and mm-hmm. yet still find appropriate and meaningful venues where mm-hmm. they can a take off the pastoral hat and just be another dude yep right or just another couple that you're hanging out with um but also b find venues for the more intimate, more vulnerable, you know, relational interactions yeah. that where you can share your doubts and share your fears and share your failures and know that the people who you're talking to can bear it. And then it's not, and then it's not going to make its way around the gossip circuit and, right. you know, come back and explode in your right. face right. Six, six weeks from now. Yeah. Walk us through that second one with the identity. And I imagine it piggybacks a little bit too about you're talking about relationships. You know, if pastors and leaders can't, you know, if they feel like they can never take off that pastoral hat, then it would, it would seem then that identity can get really messy and a little bit, (laughs) you know, that we become so equated with the role um, that it becomes hard to feel supported in that role. That is exactly right. so I'm going to just very briefly describe the tension, sure, but then yeah, pick yeah. up on the point that yeah. you just made, because I think it's a really important one. The, so the, the, the identity tension is, is where, where do you find your worth? Where do you find your meaning? Where, where do you go to know that you are a secure and valuable person? Mm-hmm. Right. And so the, the tension is, do you find that your identity rooted in Christ mm-hmm. or do you find it rooted in your position or your role? Yeah. Right. So it's either Jesus work or Mine. my work. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's that, and it's really that stark. Mm. And I'm not talking about our work as legalism. Look how righteous I am. It's, I mean, and you know, one of our, again, one of our folks group pastors said, there's a constant struggle to justify your existence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's a, that's an identity struggle, like all over the place. But to your point, this is, this is borne out in other research as well, but we found it certainly echoed in, in our work that most people in a church, most regular folks Mm -hmm. have three distinct domains of life, right? Mm -hmm. So they have, they have work. They have family and close friends, mm-hmm. um, and they have church. And these can bleed over a little bit. You have right. some friends in your church, and maybe um, you have people who you work with in your church. And you, you know, but 
But for most folks, those three are relatively distinct. Yeah. So if you're having trouble in one domain, you can go to the other and find a place to process it. Right. Right. If you're having trouble with your family, you can go to your work and talk to your colleagues about it, or you can go to church and find someone mm-hmm. who who will will help you. Right. Yeah. If you're having trouble at work, you can go home. <laughs> right. And, and, and leave it drive, there and, and leave your work right. at work instead of yeah exactly yeah. Uh-huh. or or bring your struggle home right and yeah have your and 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 either gripe about it or have a more serious conversation about what to do and how right. to handle it right and vice versa you can take that to church bryce talks about it as Ask like it. a three-legged stool right you, you, and pastors it's, don't that, have that yeah nope that's that's literally the phrase i was about to use pastors and their fa- and their families live life on a one-legged stool mm-hmm. right that the, the the domains of most people's life collapse into one mm-hmm. and so one of our focus group pastors said almost every relationship is somehow connected to the church and and as you observed this is a relational issue, mm-hmm. right? It drives the isolation. If there's nobody you can process this hard and say, I can't go as a pastor, I cannot go to the church and complain about my marriage. Right. Because then I they can. might kick you th- out <laughs> instead I, of might, just right. gently saying, here's some money for counseling right. and a date they night, maybe. How about out. a date? <laughs> yeah. Or they, or you or you risk throwing your wife under the bus. Yep. Or your kids, mm-hmm. right? You can't. If you're if you if you're having trouble with your job, you can't go to the church about it because that's your job, mm-hmm. and you can't and and they're gonna and it undermines your credibility as a pastor, and you can't go home about it or mm-hmm. or it's it's difficult and fraught to go home about it mm-hmm. because your family is so bound up in the pastoral role right. again as you as you know well as I know <laughs> yeah so, we've been at it for a while so I get that I understand those tensions yeah, what have yeah. you found to be helpful like in those focus groups did any of those pastors experience maybe some growth kind of in spiritual formation to kind of reconfigure their identity when they found it's kind of gone wonky towards the the role versus Christ's work on our behalf and kind of yeah. finding ourselves in that story yeah, um, a, a couple of things that we found. One is that, well, I'm going to say three things. Number one, co- pastoral cohorts help mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. to the extent that you have that you have a network of essentially like-minded peers. Right. So, but they but they're outside of your system. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to do with your staff. I mean, you're certainly going to be friends and 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 allies and colleagues with your staff, but it's it's actually difficult to have these kinds of really open and intimate relationships mm-hmm. that that reorient you in in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but so number one is pastoral cohorts, whether they're f- the formal ones, and uh, you know we all know guys who have been in the same pastoral group for 20 years since mm-hmm. they graduated from seminary. But doesn't that's great if you've got it. It doesn't have to be that. Mm-hmm. It can also be. Um, so I have a friend in Northern California who just has he's convened a group of evangelical pastors, and the, they have all kinds of differences, but they love Jesus and they believe mm-hmm. the Bible, and that's 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 it. That's what they need, mm-hmm. and they get each other right. Mm-hmm. So these are like-minded peers. They're close enough that they understand. Mm-hmm but they're far enough away from the system that they're not dangerous. They can, mm. they can absorb the mm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, so that's one thing that mm-hmm. really helps. The second thing that really helps is healthy marriage. Mm-hmm. I say this with a little bit of um, a grain of salt or something, because we are not quantitative researchers. We're qualitative researchers at heart. We had to get people to help us with the, the data. Yeah. But as we were as we were running correlations, one of the things we found is that perhaps the strongest predictor of well-being broadly was a strong marriage. 
Um, so there's a strong, re really strong correlation. If it's not the strongest, it is, I can say with confidence, very strong correlation. So good marriage. And then the third one is a therapist or a counselor, mm -hmm. which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, You're likely a mom who's reheated her cup of coffee at least five times today. Maybe you find yourself the calendar scheduling guru. And as you think ahead about the holiday season, you want to create something magical. But in all the hustle, how do we connect with what really matters? That's where a spacious season comes in. We need to see our story and our parenting journey for both moms and dads in light of God's big story of redemption. So a spacious season, a weary mom rejoices is your invitation. It's your on the ground resource in small bite-sized episodes. A spacious season welcomes you into a more meaningful Advent and Christmas season. In a spacious season, you'll get six audio devotionals and a great workbook to help take those episodes deeper into your heart and into your life. Make sure you go grab one today. You can get it at aahales.com slash shop. That's aahales.com slash shop. It's time for a more spacious season. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Yeah, yeah, walk us through, you know, the systems. Tell us, because I think, yeah, there's a lot to be said about systems and a lot that we probably, most of us, especially if you're in a sort of helping profession or you tend to be a leader, a lot of us aren't geared towards systems sorts of thinking, but it's incredibly important. My husband is a, is a systems thinker, so I've learned how to begin to think like that. But, um, you know, how do systems influence pastoral health or some of these tensions? Yeah, so the, so the first two tensions, um, the relationships and the identity tensions, are they're not exclusive, but they're primarily asking questions of the individual. Right. And systems really zooms out the, the lens, mm -hmm. right? So system, essentially, the, observa the big observation of, of systems is that in long-term relationships, people will inevitably become emotionally connected with one another, right? They can't, it just is the way God made the world. Mm -hmm. And that every person in a system affects the behaviors and the emotions of others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in my office, I have a baby mobile. Mm -hmm. And people ask me, John, why do you have a baby mobile in your office? And I say, because that's, that's, a relational system. Mm -hmm. If you tug, mine are the sun, the moon, the stars, right? If you tug on one of the stars, what happens? Mm -hmm. Everything else flutters. And so systems asks the question, how do you account for the flutter? Mm. And reminds us that there's no such thing as a truly autonomous person, only people who think they are. <laughs> exactly. This is why I had to um, write my last book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's a good reminder. Yeah. It's a good reminder. Um, so anyway, so, and, the, and that's, the, there's the tension, right? So there's mm -hmm. the ministry tension, the tension between an understanding of integration mm -hmm. and a, and a sort of believing the lie of autonomy mm. or fragmentation. Mm. Do you think you're the lone ranger? 
Yeah. Do you know, do you, are you trying to be the hero who solves every problem, has every answer, brings every competency to bear, performs everything flawlessly, <laughs> forgetting that a, you're human and you're limited. Mm-hmm. B, you're you're sinful and blind. Mm-hmm. And C, God has equipped you and, and gifted you with a richly diverse body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so good. So, so the the idea that pastors need to account for this, and then and then account for things that help you. You go, okay, I get this. What do I do? Right. 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 And mm-hmm. so then you have it's it's really helpful. We found to learn things like what does it mean to be health to be a healthy, differentiated person? Mm-hmm. Right. To be con- to be to stay connected to others, to not isolate, yes. but to not allow them to enmesh with you, to not allow them to hijack your emotional processing system. Mm hmm managing your emotions mm-hmm. but not reacting to them or something like that in right, systems right. language yeah um and so that's that's an important one and then the, the, another important one is learning what it means to to navigate anxiety in the system mm-hmm. anxiety yep you turn up the heat in the system sometimes it's not even a bad thing right you know here in here in my organization we've recently had an opportunity to onboard another a, a brand new denomination into some of our products and services. Well, this is a huge thing for us. It's a good thing, right? But it has, but it has, it's created a ton of work. A lot of it was unanticipated, yeah. And it's turned up the heat on the yep. system, right? And yep. it's and people are like, oh, what are we no, doing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And so the idea that an emotionally mature person, especially a leader, mm-hmm learns to spot anxiety in the system mm-hmm. and to respond with a calming presence mm-hmm. rather than amplifying the anxiety. Yeah. And that's not something they probably teach in seminary really, right? <laughs> the, I'll say this, the seminaries that I'm familiar with are starting finally to wake up mm-hmm. tw- 25 years after everybody else figured this out <laughs> um, with, with all due respect. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, um, but yeah, I think there, I, I would say this, the, the seminaries I'm, I have some familiarity with are, are starting to do this. Yeah. Finally, finally. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but there's a whole generation of pastors who've never heard of this. Right. Right. Or is really and, skeptical and, and, of it because that feels yep. like non-biblical. Or something. We were presenting this material at a at a Presbyterian meeting about a month ago. And a gentleman raised his hand and said, basically, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but basically yeah. said, You don't you don't need the psychology, right? You just right. need your Bible. Right. Um, um, and we get that some. Yeah. Um yeah, uh, you know, so te- teaching people that this is real. Yeah, you know, sorry, this is how God made the world. <laughs> you will, you will, it will go well with you if you can acknowledge <laughs> yeah. that and figure yeah. out how to do it. And then learning to do what you know what we call think systems and watch process. Mm. Um, you know, learn to reflect on how the things that you do cause the system to flutter, mm. like mm-hmm. a, deci- a decision you make. A program you start or end, uh, even a word you say. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes the flutter is very minor and easy to anticipate and not a big deal. But it's it, training yourself to think that mm-hmm. way. To mm-hmm. li- you know to lift lift your eyes up from your own little cell and <laughs> yeah. and just and just ask, oh, is this new program going to impact the nursery in a way that causes a volunteer problem, and then so-and-so is going to be angry and then the parents are like, right. Right. I'm making, I'm just right. Yeah. It's it's all connected. It's, it's all connected. Yes. And so that's the, that's the systems. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do with, what do we do with these things? You know, if we're yes, 
our identity, maybe our identities messed up or the relationships are in turmoil. We feel like we don't have wide relational capital any longer. Maybe we find ourselves beginning to practice some of these um, non-anxious presence in the systems we're involved in. But I'd love for you to talk about, you know, what could congregants do hearing some of this information? And then, you know, what, what does a pastor do with this information? So you could speak to both audiences. You know, it's been very interesting. We've been trying to do that lately. We've been trying to think like, okay, this, this presents differently Mm -hmm. to leaders, to pastors, three, there are at least three groups of stakeholders that are distinct in this. One is pastors. Pastors, you share this information with them. And for the most part, they go, oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Like, um, thanks. And then, and then their next question, whether they ask it or not, is what do you want me to do about that? Right. Now, there certainly are some things they can do. Um, but a lot of this does rest on the congregation and especially the decision makers, whether it's your elder board or a personnel committee or, you know, if you're in a different denomination, your deacon board or... Mm-hmm. Your, your hierarchical spirits, whoever's, you know, make calling the shots. And so to present to them is the challenge of helping them understand that this is real and that the struggles for a pastor and his family are not totally unique to the struggles of the congregation at large. Everybody, to, to a certain extent, struggles with these things. Mm-hmm. But the pastoral role causes some some really distinct and unique um, ways that these present themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the identity one to me is actually the easiest one to see. The accountant, when he goes to a ball game with his friend, is not the accountant. He's just one of, his, one of the guys. Right. But when the pastor goes to a ball game with his friend, he's the pastor who's at the ball game. With that, right. right. And most right. people, once people, when you name that, can see it pretty quickly. Right. So that's our... The thing that we've run into as we've started talking to people in with formal leadership is helping them get past the, well, I struggle with this too. Why should I do anything special for my pastor? Right. Right. I, I don't get a sabbatical. Why should he? Nobody's paying for my counseling. Why should I pay for his? Right. And that's what we try to do is we, we try to do two things. Number one, we try to point out that it actually is a unique and distinct calling that is that is fundamentally and substantively different and hard in different ways. Mm-hmm. And please have the humility to accept that. And then we also try to point out to them that that is essentially a scarcity mentality, mm-hmm. right? That's a mentality that says, that's like a little kid saying, well, if I can't have the cookie, you can't have it either. <laughs> right, right. Right. And that's actually not the economy of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. The, the economy of the kingdom of God is an abundance economy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean we're, we're reckless with our money or our resources, but it means we don't walk around thinking, what can I take away from you? Cause I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. It means, it means people in authority having the understanding that their calling is to support their pastor. And if that means figuring out a sabbatical, then let's figure it out. And mm-hmm. if that means putting counseling in the budget next year, that means we're going to put it in. If that means one of the elders taking the personal responsibility to make sure you take your, your, your day off and like run you away from the office, if he sees you or something, then, then, then so be it. And there's a, you know, there's lots of other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and you mentioned congregations, the, the way that I've been thinking about this and I actually want to study this more if I mm-hmm. can. I, the way I've been thinking about this is that congregations and pastors are both sort of facing each other. And to the extent that each is attuned to and proactively caring for and mm-hmm. anticipating and leaning into the needs of the other, then the whole system grows healthier. Mm. So for congregations to understand to the extent that you can both learn ways that your pastors and and his families 
situation in life and calling presents challenges that are distinct and unique that you probably don't get. And then kind of closing that empathy gap mm-hmm. and then helping them understand that if you can learn to understand that and then to seek his well-being, the whole church is going to thrive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you're you're contributing to the health of the body, right. not just the health of one person. And we've we've presented this to just a small handful of full congregations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been we haven't we've really just started traveling. Right. But I've been to I've been to four or five churches since mm-hmm. we've since we've released this, and that has actually been pretty well received. Mm-hmm. That that well being is a team sport that you you can you can learn ways that your pastor and his wife and his kids life is different than yours in ways that are new to you and that'll help you be more empathetic to them mm-hmm. and then that'll help you learn what it means to serve them well I and mean, we can always give suggestions but i'm not in your church i can't exactly tell you what he needs or where he struggles or where she feels isolated but mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if you will, I mean, you, if right. you will, you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. So kind of a, a quick question, given, you know, we, we've seen so many celebrity pastors fall from grace. Um, there's the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. Um, you know, as we've now debating in all of the social media channels about leadership and power and authority, and I don't expect you to have all the answers, but do you see some connection between some of what you've studied and perhaps some of our evangelical landscape? Oh yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. And Mars Hill is the perfect, I mean, sad Mm -hmm. caricature, but also really apt case study Mm -hmm. because it's so easy. It's just so easy to see. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, that podcast comes up every time we talk about this anywhere <laughs> yeah. without okay. fail, 100% yeah. of the time, yeah. somebody, somebody will say, have you guys heard, <laughs> we you know, heard that. Like, yes, <laughs> yeah, I've said about 50 million other people, <laughs> right. yes, we have yeah. heard that Yeah, and you should listen to it and you should heed it because yeah. just because it's exaggerated doesn't mean something similar can't happen here. Right. And here's the, here's the way that I see a connection. And I mentioned this earlier, but it is the the tendency of evangelicals to attract hero leaders, Mm. right? And the tendency of pastors, probably especially church planters, although I'm not sure that I would necessarily slice it that thin, but there's a gift set that in a way is both kind of necessary that God can use to grow a church, in good and healthy ways, grow a church, but also if it's deployed and towards bad ends or even slightly off course (laughs) ends Mm -hmm. can be really destructive and dangerous, both to a congregation and to the pastor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So congregationally, it can use, abuse, manipulate, burn out all in the service of my project, my ego, yeah. um, et cetera. And then for the pastor himself, it, it just snowballs the isolation. Right. 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 There's the, there's the appearance of help and connectivity because I listen to his podcast and I, you know, 10,000 people download his sermons and there's an enormous crowd there every day. And that's the most isolated dude right. on the, on the planet. Yeah. And isolation will just slowly bleed you dry. It'll, it'll, isolated people, chronically isolated people will almost always end up in in some sort of, you know, destructive pattern or moral failure, whether it's Mm -hmm. sexual or whether it's addiction or whether it's, it's usually one of three things, sexual or, or an addiction, a substance abuse addiction or financial improprieties. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Hmm. I, I'm not prepared to say it's always that way, but it's right. definitely a tendency. Tends, and, those are the pathways that it tends to go. Yes. 
Yeah. Most of us are not megachurch pastors with a ginormous platform. Most of us are not that immensely gifted. We joke here around the office. There's six or seven pastors that work in my office, and we all joke that we thank God for protecting us from fame. Yeah, yeah for sure. Because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fool if I think that if I was in, was exposed to that, I yeah. couldn't do exactly the same things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For every megachurch pastor that publicly flames out, there's a thousand regular church pastors that kind of skew in the same direction and they end up hurting themselves and their congregations mm-hmm. by trying to be that hero leader. Yeah. So I, that's the main way that I... Mm. That's great. No, I think to that's answer, really... To answer your question. Yeah. And I, I think that's just so important because we can often, you know, see some of those big stories and not see ourselves as capable um, or culpable in the same ways. And so we we continue to self-isolate instead of saying, okay, um, actually, you know, how can I work on these? Yeah. These three helpful ways that you've talked about health. That's really helpful. Um, before we end, John, I would love to hear your laundry routine. Uh, and the reason I asked this question is it kind of comes from the writer, Kathleen Morris. She came back to faith in Christ when she saw the Catholic priest she called doing the dishes in the middle of the mass. Um, and she's like, if Jesus actually cares about something like my chores, then like maybe I should reinvestigate this. Um, so I do love to ask everybody what their laundry routine is here on the Finding Holy podcast. So what's your what's your laundry routine? Okay, uh, a couple of things. Uh, I have I have three small kids, um, eight, well, smallish. They're 10, nine, and six. And the, the two boys are on like a club soccer team yep. and my daughter is on like a year round swim team. So in addition to normal laundry, people yeah. clothes, <laughs> we also have all that. So we have a, we have a pretty big flow of laundry. My wife and yeah. I both work. And so our, a, our laundry, and maybe this is healthy. It's our laundry is very collaborative. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're all, it's like, you know, it's kind of a steady stream. It's not like Saturday's laundry day or anything. Right. It's just a steady stream of laundry. And if you see a pile laying around, it's kind of an unspoken rule that you you probably better fold some of it if you can. Oh, that's good. I um, like that. And then trying to teach the kids to put away their own throw away their own stuff and the older one to for her to learn how to fold it. And mm-hmm. so that's there's that. Our laundry routine, though, has changed um, structurally recently because of a, because of a Malcolm Gladwell podcast that ah, I listened to. Yeah, tell us. Um, so, so he he did a podcast about laundry, mm-hmm. and one of the things I learned from that podcast was apparently, by far and away, the biggest environmental impact that your load of wash does or the worst impact it has is heating the water to wash everything on hot okay and and that most modern detergents don't require hot water and so basically he's like there's virtually never a need there's virtually never a need to wash on anything but cold wow and so we we have said you know what that makes an easy change yeah so we we have altered our laundry. It's not the routine. We still wash the clothes. I mean, the same yeah. kind of cycle of doing the stuff and folding it and putting it away. But we've we've switched to almost exclusively cold water, unless there's a real reason to do hot. So maybe nice. maybe maybe doing some tiny bit of good in yes. that way. But um, yeah, laundry is like a never-ending thing yes. for us at home. So I understand. We got four kiddos, yeah, and I'm like. I think some of you need to be washing your clothes now because I think you've worn that about eight times. <laughs> yes, yes. We haven't gotten yep. to the folding bit yet. So I need they usually just shove it back into their Yeah, folding's know. hard. Okay. Folding. Yeah. I'm I'm not great at folding either. So I'm I don't have a lot of patience with my 10-year-old for not being able to do it. But right, right, but, right. Um, <laughs> but they're putting it away. So that's, yes, that's a little that step. Anyway. Little wins. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, but you're learning how you're a family system. I love it through your whole laundry routine. It's good. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, John, for all of that information. Really, really helpful. And I hope it's given all of us something to think about, like how can we be working towards the health of another in the systems we're in? So thanks for being with us today. Yeah, uh, my pleasure, Asha. This was, this was a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. So thanks very much. Yay. You're welcome. I hope you found that conversation with John illuminating. If you're interested in reading the full report, you can click the link in the show notes for more information. I always love to leave my listeners with one small step so we can connect the dots between all of these big ideas and what do we do on an average Tuesday? Well, I would love for you to consider what of those three kind of areas that John was talking about do you feel maybe a little pinch, a little pull, and some interest in thinking about further, whether that's your relationships, whether that's identity, or whether that is systems. Maybe you're a pastor and that piece on identity really hit you hard. Or maybe you're a congregant and you haven't really thought about how systems might actually affect the whole health of the organization. Or maybe you are a leader in a church or an organization or a business, and you're finding yourself also self-isolating. Now, whoever you are, there's probably one of those that really sticks out at you. And I want to ask you the question, not only which of those three, but what are you going to do about it? Maybe if relationships are the thing, you choose to invite someone over for dinner that you may have kind of shunned or isolated yourself from. Maybe if the identity piece is really important. You focus on creating a habit of silence and solitude and reading your Bible as a daily practice. Or maybe if the systems thing is new to you, you pick up a book like Edwin Friedman's Failure of Nerve to begin to consider how systems influence the health of a community. I would love to hear what you choose. Tag me on social media at Hales. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I'd love to hear how you are processing this information. Lastly, friends, I would encourage you to go pick up a copy of A Spacious Life. It is a kind of practical theology that takes that lie of this unfettered individualism or the sense that we are autonomous and it actually works through the life of Jesus to help us see that there is a better way, a more spacious life, a life of joy and rest and purpose actually right in our limits. You can find out more. You can also take a free quiz and get your pocket practices, some spiritual formation cards. All of that is at aspacious.life. And if you've already read the book and you love it, if you would take a second to review it on Amazon or wherever you picked up the book, I would be ecstatic. Thank you friends for being here. And I hope that you remember that all of these big ideas matter, but so does your laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.